0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are continuing our scout series today with a very special guest, Twins area scout Jack Powell. Jack is one of the most decorated scouts in the game, he's been scouting for 48 years. His first job as a scout was in 1973 with the Cincinnati Reds. He won two World Series rings as part of the scouting staff for the Big Red Machine, won another World Series ring with the 1979 We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates, another one with the 1986 Mets, another one with the 1995 Braves, five World Series rings for Jack Powell, and he signed 21 big leaguers, including Rick Honeycutt, Tom Browning, Jose Bautista, Matt Moore, Steve Pierce, Byron Buxton, and his two most recent additions to the major leagues this year were Akil Badu and Sam Clay. Really, again, just one of the most decorated scouts in the game, and we're very pleased to have Jack join us from his home in Duluth, Georgia. Jack, you've had a long, successful career dating back to 1973. The list of big leaguers you signed speaks for itself. What would you say has been the key to your success and your longevity in the scouting world?
1: Uh, the longevity, I think, has everything to do with being able to adjust to the game the way that it's changed from where... I began to where we are now and um, you know and I've been fortunate to work with some great people along the way that have helped me make those adjustments it wasn't anything I d- did on my own because I needed these people to help me every step of the way so I've been very very fortunate for that I was very lucky uh, to start out with some legends you know the game you know George Digby, Chet Montgomery, Larry Doty, uh, Julian Mott, George Zura, you know, those guys like that, Joe and Jim Campbell, they really helped nurture me as a young scout. And I still have all that that I carry with me today along with all the adjustments that I've had to make.
0: What were some of the lessons they taught you that have carried through your career? Uh,
1: yeah, on the field, you know, it's obvious you look for the tools the run, throw field, hit with power, the pitchers, you know, and they taught me about pitching in baseball, you know, the best two pitches are strike one, strike two, and so that's what I look for with pitchers, and, you know, with hitters, it's just guys that, you know, it's good balance, and it just comes naturally and easy for them. If they have to play the game with some effort, you know, it's going to be a problem. And, you know, when I started out, the radar gun was just coming on the scene. So, there was the ray gun and the jug super speed. So, and not all teams had it. So, you know, when I started out, I didn't have a radar gun. I had to learn to read, you know, the pitches, you know, the velocities and kind of cheat off of somebody else that would have a radar gun. And a lot of those guys, They would hold the radar gun up close to their chest and just look down so nobody else could see what they got. So that's, you know, just things like that that I had to learn early on, and it's carried on throughout my career.
0: I have to ask, some older scouts have this innate ability to know what a pitcher's velocity was just by looking at the ball, how it comes out of his hand. Do you have that?
1: That's what I had to learn. Yes, one of the things you learn is that, real quick, and you know, and I learned, you know, pitchers that have sync, you know, what that is, I learned what exit velocity, launch angle, and spin rate was early on, you know. Uh, Launch angle was guys that could hit the ball up into the lights, exit velocity is when it went out faster than it came in. And spin rate was a pitcher that could spin the ball, a curve or a slider, and buckle a hitter's knees. And that still applies today.
0: No question. A lot of things, new terminology, but it's a lot of the same stuff that people have been looking at and seeing for years and years and years. I want to go back to 1973, your first job as an area scout with the Cincinnati Reds. How did you get into scouting?
1: The guy that scouted me was Chet Montgomery. And then once I... Uh, finished playing. And I would always go to chips, try out camps and things like that. And so we got to know each other well and he asked me in 71 if I would like to help him uh, as an associate scout. And I said yes. And then I learned under him for two years and then he got promoted to a cross checker and was one of the early cross checkers. And because he knew me well, he hired me to take his place so that's how everything got started and you know it's went on from there
0: i've never stopped learning absolutely your uh, playing career how high did you rise and what was your career like as a player
1: uh well when i started out i was a catcher and um you know like most high school kids you have to play dual positions and things so um i was uh, i was a catcher and, uh, you know, then that was it. That's where, kind of where my career ended. Uh, always felt that I should have been the guy that Chet should have signed out of these tryout camps and things, And but they had a guy that was playing in the big leagues that was pretty good, and uh, I thought he was a little overrated. So, you know, he went on to the Hall of Fame and I went on the road to become a scout. So, you yeah, know, that was it.
0: But both had very decorated careers in your own ways, you and Johnny Bench. Yes, yes, yes.
1: And I told John when I was um, in Cincinnati his last year, and I asked him, I said, John, when you're at the steps of Cooperstown, there's one thing I would really like for you to do. And, you know, it's just a small favor, just, you know, and he said, what's that? And I said, when, when you stand there on the steps before everything, starts just remember i quit so you could enjoy that moment and uh, he laughed and uh, so yeah it was good and i asked him later on i saw him a couple years later i said did you remember that and he said you know what i didn't think of it
0: yeah you obviously were a part of some really special teams uh scouting for the big red machine you went on to the pirates part of the we are family pirates Went on to the Mets, won a ring with the 1986 Mets, one of the most colorful teams, I think we can say, in recent baseball history. And then the 1995 Braves with Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. You've been a part of some tremendously talented teams and have five World Series rings in your career. Do any of those teams stick out? I mean, they're all just such great teams in baseball lore. Was there anything that really stuck out about one in particular?
1: Uh you uh, know, each team was unique. I think the '75-'76 Reds. What made them so unique was the uh, the team chemistry, and they had the same thing in uh, Pittsburgh, and with the uh, w- with the Pirates. Uh, you know, those were the things. You know, cor- obviously they were very, very talented. Um, you know, the and it was a full team effort you know, on the reds and uh, and things because you had Sparky Anderson and, you know, he earned, earned the nickname of Captain Hook because once a pitcher started getting in trouble, you know, he was out. He didn't care who it was. So, you know, they were each unique in their own way. But the, uh, the belief in each batter that stepped into the box, they all each felt they were Going to start something or turn the game around, and then when you went over to the Pirates, you had uh, Willie Stargell, who was the leader, and he was the guy that took the team and put him on his shoulders, and he carried that team. And you know they they had Parker and all those guys, but Willie was the centerpiece of that. You know you go back with the Reds. Yeah, there were so many great players on that team. You couldn't just say you had one centerpiece like you did with the Pirates. And, then, you know, when you went over to the Mets, uh, you had two guys pretty much that carried the team. One was uh, Gooden and the other one was Strawberry. But then, you know, behind that you had Kevin McReynolds and, you know, all those other guys. But it, it was two guys that carried that club. You know, when Gooden got the ball, he was invincible. There could nobody beat him. And when Strawberry came to the plate, he was a lot like Willie Stargell. He was there to change the game with one swing of the bat. You come over to the Braves, and it was like, you know, that pitching staff that they had was really unrivaled to any of the other teams that I was a part of because that's where the nucleus was made. All the offense felt they had to do was score one run And the pitching staff was going to shut everything else down. They were going to take over. And Maddox and Gladman and Smoltz and things, that's what they did. You get us a run, we're going to win the game. So that's, you know, it's five different ways with each of those teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Again, these are all some of the most famous teams in baseball lore. And sure, it was incredible to be a part of them. And I have to ask, where do you keep your five World Series rings? Locked up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever take them out and wear them?
1: Yeah, I'll take them out and wear them sometimes. And I'll take them uh, with me to games every now and then. And, uh, you know, I'll I'll find some kid somewhere and I'll put them on him and let him uh, make pictures with, you know, his mom and dad, and things like that. So, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't hide them. I'm just very careful about when I wear them.
0: A lot of people talk about the changes in the game. I have to ask, the rings have changed a lot. What's the biggest difference oh between God. your first one and your most recent one? Just, just oh, the, the oh heaviness?
1: Just the size. <laughs> you know, how to, you know, some of them, it's just uh, it's hard to see how they wear them. And I think the biggest change came with the Marlins in their last World Series. Um, you know, the ring that those guys got, it, it was too big for them to wear. And uh, then, you know... Uh, Boston came in with a a big ring and then everybody after that it's gotten bigger. Yeah. And if you look at the Cubs and the Nationals and you know now the Dodgers and things those rings are so big. I mean, they jump out at you.
0: Going back and looking even at just the Reds ones from the mid 70s to the ones of today, it's very 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 different.
1: Oh, yeah, you're looking, it looks like a high school class ring, the ones we got 75, 76, compared to what they're wearing out today.
0: A ring's a ring, and you've got five of them, and it's an incredible accomplishment. So I want to dive into two of your most recent big leaguers that you signed, but I have to ask about some of your older guys. You've seen a lot of the guys you've signed go on to tremendous success. Tom Browning throwing a perfect game. Jose Bautista hitting one of the most famous home runs in postseason history. Steve Pierce winning World Series MVP award. What's it been like for you seeing some of these guys you've signed reach those heights?
1: Uh, It's been exciting because I keep up with my players that I've signed and I've talked with them and things. And I know the struggles that they've all went through, the trials, the ups and downs and things like that. And, you know, when as a scout, when you have that friendship and relationship with those players and they call you and they go, hey, guess what, I'm getting called up. I'm going to the big leagues. That's really the excitement for you and the pleasure you get out of all the hard work because you know how hard they worked to get there and then to see them t- to elevate their game to the next level as those guys you mentioned did you know it's because it was the determination and the hard work and the conviction and belief they had within themselves. They wouldn't going to let anybody take anything away from them. And you know when you see that you're just you know It's like being a, a a proud dad, you know, of seeing those guys uh, do those things. And it's fun. It's really exciting.
0: Was the Browning perfect game the highlight?
1: Uh, I, I kind of keep them by individual, you know, okay. just and things like that. You know, Jose with his hitting, you know, uh, the Silver Slugger leading the uh, league and home runs and RBS and all that. Yeah, I keep them separate. They're all individual accomplishments. And I'm, you know, I treasure each one of those things that those guys have done.
0: All right, Jack, well, I want to dive into your two most recent big leaguers, Akil Badu and Sam Clay. First, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. And we're back with Jack Powell, longtime scout, currently an area scout for the Twins. Jack, you drafted and signed Sam Clay in the fourth round back in 2014 and Akil Badu in the second round in 2016. I want to start with Akil. He got off to a tremendous start this year. He's a Rule 5 pick of the Tigers from the Twins, really opened some eyes in spring training and was one of the best rookies here the first month of the Major League season. What did you see out of Akil back when he was at Salem High School in Conyers, Georgia?
1: He was a kid that could always see it. I- I saw a kill uh his junior year when I was seeing another kid in the high school season, and he he noticed pitches well he he read pitches he didn't have bad at bats he didn't have the strength that he obviously that he has now, but he always put together good at bats and he hit the ball hard every time he swung the bat then going into the summer season, he'd gotten a little bit stronger. And there again, he was, you know, putting balls in play hard, 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 hard. Then he goes to the East Coast Pro, and he elevates his game because now he's facing the best pitchers on the East Coast. And he just rattles the fences, all of them down there, the entire uh, East Coast series. BP, he's hitting balls out of the ballpark. Uh, He's just showing you what type of a hitter he is. He carried that over into his senior year. Unfortunately, his season ended without his team making the playoffs, which was, you know, it was both good and bad. Uh, The guys that had followed him quite a bit and things, you know, they were able to let him get, he was able to take a break and get some rest leading into pre-draft workouts and things like that. So I think that really helped him by t- getting that break even though I know he, he's a competitor and he wanted to go on and uh, win the state. Then when we drafted him, uh, he went down and he had success. He hit and things and then uh, he was in pre-game, before game, throw on in and out and he got his ball, made to throw and he felt something pop in his elbow. And of course that shut him down with Tommy John. He was really uh, discouraged by all that. So, you know, we talked, we got through it. And uh, then unfortunately he gets off, fortunately he gets off to a good start last year and then COVID wiped his season out. So, you know, our guys had a tough decision to make with, you know, what we're gonna do on the 25 man roster and, You know, the Tigers took him and he was elated, uh, excited to get a chance to be in the big leagues. And he's where he belongs. And he did everything I I felt he's capable of doing.
0: You mentioned that he caught your attention as a junior, really continued to elevate his stock at the major showcases and during his senior year. At what point did it go from, I'm interested in this kid to, I want to draft this kid for our organization?
1: Uh, That summer the summer between his junior and senior year yeah. because he just stepped it up you know when you're seeing the best pitchers that come through georgia in the tournaments during the summer and he performed the way he did it was maybe the second game that i saw him during the summer i went that's him that's the guy and so i went after him
0: what's the process like, you know, talking to your superiors, convincing them that, hey, this is a guy we want to invest, not just a draft pick in, but a high draft pick, a second-round pick? Uh,
1: It was just, you know, fortunately, I've I've got people that believe in me, which made it easier. And so when – I'll never forget uh, Darren Johnson, who was a scouting director at the time, and Tim O'Neill, who was a cross-checker at the time. We were – they were in town covering – this, you know, the perfect game tournament, the East Cobb tournament that has 380 something teams in it. I had seen a kill the night before, and he put on a show with the bat, so I sent them a text, I didn't know exactly what field it was at, and I went, Badu is bad, you need to see him. So, he plays tomorrow, whatever time and things, and both of them were there. And you know he lit it up again, and you know he lit them up. They had a, uh, they really liked what they saw, and we just kept following him and kept working him. And I got to know him, got to know his family, and you know they're great people, and I'm very happy for it.
0: 2019, he has Tommy John surgery. What was that like for you and him? You mentioned you you talked to him a little bit after that. I mean, what was that process like in terms of your communications with him as he's going through this grueling rehab?
1: Well, you know, having had the long career that I've had, I've had to deal with players who have had injuries along their way, which helped me help him. So, you know, like uh, Jose Bautista, when he was in Hickory, he broke his hand, and it cost him almost the whole season. So, you know, going through setbacks and things like that. It's, that's the things we talked about and I related back to other injuries that players have had and how they've overcome them, how he's going to overcome it, he's going to come out better. Uh, There was always a question about his arm strength because he had a below average arm when we signed him and I I told him about pitchers who have had Tommy John and you know you get in there you bust your tail you do the rehab the right way you're going to come out with a better arm than what you went in there with you know just every every encouraging example I could get for him on you know previous injuries and how he was going to help prepare for it and how he takes this time now and studies pitchers and traits and things to look for we tried to you know, accumulate everything that he would learn if he was playing, but he's having to sit back and watch. And he did all that, and he worked his tail off, and his arm's better now. It's close to average. It was about a 30-arm when he was in high school.
0: It speaks to the work ethic to come back and come back better. Yeah, and he has that
1: makeup and that mentality. Uh, he's just, he's outstanding. He's just, he's got such a great baseball mind.
0: You mentioned he comes back, has a good spring last year. Coronavirus shut down, cancels the minor league season. He's left exposed in the rule five draft. Tigers pick him up. I remember talking to some scouts in spring training saying, Hey, this guy is having a great camp. I even wrote a quick item about it for us. And he makes the opening day roster stays with the tigers and comes out the first pitch he sees in the major leagues hits a home run. I have to ask, were you watching that? Yes. Yes. What was your reaction seeing? The first pitch? Yeah, home it run. just
1: it tickled to death. I was excited for him. His mom and dad were there, and I was texting back and forth with them. And, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, We all enjoyed that together. Hey, the only difference was they were there, and I wasn't.
0: Did you let out, like, an audible yell, or was it more of oh, yeah. a bump? Oh. oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I came up you know with both arms up and you know I was happy for him a big clap and yeah.
0: And then the next day he hits a grand slam against the Twins, obviously. Same thing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, same sometimes. thing, yeah.
1: And he was you know he was excited about that too. You know, uh, former team and yeah he still you know he still likes the Twins and you know respects everybody in there because they were good to him and uh, you know. Twins gave him his chance. Now he's taking advantage of it in the big leagues.
0: It certainly has been. Again, his first few weeks there were the story of the season. He has hit a little bit of a slump, but every young player goes through their adjustments. What are you expecting from him moving forward in his career? Just knowing him as well as you do, both as a person and a player.
1: He's not going to let the slump, you know, keep him from doing what he's doing. He's going to worked through it and, you know, there again, he and I have talked about other hitters and they all go through slumps at certain points and, you know, the book's out now on him with the pitchers around the league. So, you know, I tell him, I said, you know, baseball's like life. It's a, it's a game of adjustments all the time. And you have to keep making adjustments and figure out what they're doing to you so you can succeed. And if you're in the business world, you've got to figure those things out to be successful. So I'm not concerned. I know Akil, he will figure it all out.
0: It was five years ago that you drafted him and you guys have stayed in touch. Is it like that with all your players, this constant communication for years after you draft them?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, I still talk to players that are retired and things like that. I have very few players that I don't have any communication with.
0: Akil certainly has had a great debut. You had another player make their major league debut this year, and that is Sam Clay, fourth rounder in 2014 out of Georgia Tech. His major league debut was not quite as emphatic in some ways as Akil Badu's, but his Major League debut was nonetheless really, really impressive by complete coincidence. I was actually watching this game the moment it happened, and I saw the Nationals bring in Sam Clay for his Major League debut, and his first assignment is to face Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzie Albies, Freddie Freeman, and Marcelo Zuna. Gives up a leadoff single to Acuna, comes back, gets Albies on a grounder, strikes out Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna. I'd say that was a heck of a debut.
1: That was a heck of a debut. Yeah, and I talked with him after that, and, uh, you know, he was excited. He went, I didn't care. He said, I was where I belonged. I worked hard to get here, and, um, you know, these guys i got to face all the time, so I might as well get right to work and, you know, get after them, and that's what he did.
0: Back at Georgia Tech in 2014,
1: what did you see out of Sam? A lot of strikes, steep downhill plane. Uh, fastball is when he's on it's really tough to make hard contact with uh, he's got a, the makings of an out pitch with his breaking ball he's got some swing and miss to it, and you know S- Sam had his ups and downs through the minor leagues, but the one thing he and I never gave up on was the foresight that he belonged in the big leagues, and I told him I said, we drafted you, I recommended you. We worked on this because I believe you're a big leaguer and don't lose sight of that. And, you know, he's done that. He's battled and it's been there's been times when it's been discouraging for him when he felt he should have moved up and he didn't get the chance to move up and things. So, you know, the Nationals are fortunate that they got him and I think Sam's going to be a, a centerpiece in their bullpen for years to come.
0: Yeah, he's held opponents scoreless in six of his eight appearances so far. I do want to ask about Sam. At Georgia Tech, he was a reliever. You guys drafted him and sent him out as a starter. Now, he ultimately moved back into relief, but what were some of the things you saw where you say, hey, this guy's relieving in college, but we think he might have a chance to start in pro ball and at least decided to give him that shot?
1: Well, I had Sam in high school. He was a starter for Buford, one of the better high school programs in the state. So I saw that. He went in to Georgia Tech behind a pretty good starting one, two, three with Dick McGuire and the guys that they had there at that time. So they had to have a guy who would go into the bullpen and come in in any situation. And Sam, being the competitor that he is, who's a football player, quarterback, things like that, he had that mentality. And he told Coach Hall, he said, give me the ball, I'll take it. And, you know, he did well for him. That's the top player in the, the mentality that he brings to the game.
0: Yeah, certainly he moved up, was Georgia Test closer, had eight saves, and, and really improved the strike throwing. Looking back, he had had more walks than strikeouts in 2013, but 2014 looked like the progress in terms of strike throwing was really starting to show.
1: Yeah, it was. And he was trying to figure out, uh, you know, he was also making the adjustment from the curve to the slider and things so – I think that was kind of where most of his struggles came in, making that transition. And I, it also took away a little bit from his fastball control because he was more concentrating so much on the slider. And then he went off and he had a decent summer. He figured some things out and he came back in the fall. And He was a different pitcher when he came back into the fall. and That carried over into the spring
0: you mentioned he's a guy you had in high school how much do you find yourself leaning on that background sometimes when you're seeing a guy in college maybe have struggles but because you have that history with him how much do you find yourself leaning back on that
1: Uh, tremendously i keep for as long as those players i see from high school who go on and they play college ball i keep my book on them from when i first saw them to where they are and i can keep up with their progression their velocity changes Pitch changes, whatever it is they're doing. So it's huge for me to have that background knowledge and know how they're progressing.
0: You mentioned Sam going to the slider. That was what stood out to me just watching him on TV. And so far, batters have not hit his slider yet this year. They're 0 for 13 against it with five strikeouts. So clearly that's turned into quite a weapon for him.
1: Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he spent the entire year last year with, with our extended team in uh, St. Paul, and never did quite get the chance to come in uh, to Minnesota and pitch for us. But I'm happy for him now because, you know, the Nationals got a good guy.
0: 21 big leaguers. Is it every bit as exciting, just like the first one, every new guy that gets a shot?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're happy for that kid and what he's done and he finally sees the reward for all the struggles and all the hard work and all the disappointments and all the celebrations he sees it all come together for him then. and instantly everything else has vanished for him and it's just that side ahead you know uh, of him getting his chance to go to the big leagues never changes it's always exciting
0: Absolutely. Well, Jack, you definitely signed two good ones with uh, Akil and Sam to add to your long list. And we appreciate you coming on and joining us and sharing your insights. Yeah, Thank you. I appreciate being here. Once again, that was Jack Powell with the Twins. Uh, again, his track record speaks for itself. The number of big leaguers he signed, the success they've got to, his longevity in the game, the number of World Series rings he has, really one of the best scouts in the game and someone that We're very, very honored to have joined us here on the Baseball America Scout Series podcast. Once again, this has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jack Powell, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.